with a prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Sacred Heart of Jesus, our Lady of Mount Carmel, our Queen and our Mother, bless our home. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So my part of the talk is to tell about the history of devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And just before we start, I wanted to mention yesterday when we were talking about the the encyclical um, of Leo the 13th. So the encyclical of Leo the 13th, Aurietis Aquas, when it, translation, remember what it was? Your trivia question? What was it? Okay, you will draw waters. That is from Isaiah um, chapter 12, verse 3. You will draw waters joyfully from the wells of salvation, or the springs of salvation, or the fonts of salvation, depending on what translation you use. In Espanol, sacarás aguas con gozo de las fuentes de la salvación. You will draw waters joyfully from the wellsprings of salvation. And right before the prophet Isaiah, remember the prophets prophesy things that will come in the future. And so the prophet Isaiah, right before is talking about how God is promising to his people that he will send them a savior. He will, sa he will save his people again. And just like he saved them in the land of Egypt, he will save his people again. And he will set up for them, raise up for them a sign. And then it goes on to say, and in this time you will draw waters joyfully from the springs, the wells of salvation. Now this is prophesying Jesus, his raising up on the cross. And he himself says, referring to this, when I am raised up, I will draw all towards myself. They'll know that I'm God. They'll know that I am the promised one because it was prophesied in the prophets. And in those times, you will draw water from the wellsprings of salvations. And who is it that said, I am the living water? To the, the Samaritan at the well, I am the living water. If you drink of this water, you will never thirst. And so Jesus is making reference to that prophecy also, that you will draw waters from the fonts of salvation. You will draw waters, I am the living water. I am the one who will give you those waters. You will draw waters of salvation from me from my heart that will be open and poured out for you on the cross when I am raised up on the cross. So this devotion to the sacred heart, it's not something that it's a new salvation, that um, devotion, excuse me, that the church just made up. Oh, the church just made this up and it's a superstitious devotion of Jesus's heart. Well, no, it's like you haven't gotten anything. And plus, you don't know Jesus. If you can say that, you don't know Jesus and you don't love him. Because when you love someone, you love their heart and you want their heart. Like when you fell in love with your spouse, 
didn't you desire to like know all the secrets of their heart? Didn't you desire that their heart could belong totally to you and that you could possess their heart in a way that to know the most intimate parts of their heart, that you could share that between the two of you? Well, that's how we have to look at the devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus, that it's that intimacy of hearts that I want to know his heart. I want to know the secrets of his heart because that's like the most profound secrets of his being. Like that's who he is. That's where he holds his profoundest treasures, his deepest treasures is in the depths of his heart. That's where those depths of love spring from also. So to love Jesus's heart is to have that intimate union with him. And so it's just natural to speak of his heart because that's referring to the most intimate part of the person. When you love a person, you want to know them intimately and you want to have that relationship with them. And so that's what Jesus is calling us to in the devotion to his sacred heart, that we have that intimate union with him, that we can share our hearts with him, that his heart can become our heart, that all our feelings, our thoughts, our sentiments, our actions become the actions, sentiments, thoughts of him, that they reflect the thoughts, sentiments, actions of his heart, that our heart becomes like the heart of Christ. Like I said, obviously the history of this devotion is the love of God. The Israelites, the love that they had for their God in the Old Testament, I'm the Lord your God, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. How God went revealing his heart in the Old Testament little by little through the prophets, through the, through the Psalms, through the Song of Songs, the Cantar de los Cantares, to speak of this relationship of love between the soul and God. And then also Jesus himself in the Gospels starts to refer to say that, learn from me because I am meek and humble of heart. He's saying, look at my heart, learn from me. He is the one that desires that intimate union with us. He is the one that promised that he will give us those living waters, that he is the only one who can give us those living waters, that when we have them, we will never thirst anymore. And so it's just something natural that has developed within the heart of the church that has throughout time gone, uh, gone spreading as a more concrete and wider spread devotion. And in the Gospel of John, when he comments how he rested his heart on the head of Jesus, well, I'm going to skip ahead a couple centuries, well, a thousand years, and go to uh, St. Gertrude. Now, she had various, well, our Lord appeared to her all the time. <laughs> so she was so intimately close to our Lord, so united to him, that he would appear to her with so much frequency, just as something normal. And he would appear a lot showing his heart as his sacred heart, so the sacred heart of Jesus. And uh, in one, one time that he had appeared to her, she saw also on Jesus' side St. John. And Jesus made like a gesture of invitation to come to rest her heart on 
her head on his heart, on his chest. And so she comes closer, and she rests her head on Jesus' heart. And just hearing Jesus' heartbeat, she received so many ineffable graces. Like, you wouldn't even be able to explain them in words what she was receiving. Understanding God's love and the graces and consolations and joys that she was receiving just by hearing Jesus' heartbeat. God's heartbeat. And she looked at St. John and she goes, did you hear this when you were, when you were resting his head on his, when you were resting your head on his heart in the Last Supper? Were you receiving all this? Was this happening to you? And he goes, yes, I was. I was receiving all that sweetness and joys and graces that you are receiving now. And she goes, why did you not write more about this in your gospel? <laughs> and he goes, because this devotion to his heart, the sweetnesses and the secrets of his heart, he was wanting to save for a later time, a time when the hearts had grown cold, to reset on fire, to set on fire once again, those hearts in times that had, the hearts had gone cold. So our Lord was saving this for a later time so that this fire of the treasures of his heart would set on fire a generation that is indifferent to our Lord and to his love. And so in, God has his times. And throughout the history of, of salvation, he sends what mankind needs in every moment. And so he had saved this devotion in particular to take out the treasures of this treasure chest of his heart, of the love, the tender, intimate love of his heart, for a time when the hearts were hardened and cold and there was nothing else that could melt them except this tenderness and the secrets of his heart. In the early um, Middle Ages, like the 1100s, 1200s, 1300s, there was lots of saints who, because like I said, you love Jesus' heart because that's him. That's the most intimate part of him. And so it was something somewhat common to refer to his heart, his divine heart, because they understood that that's the source of Jesus' love. That's that intimate union with him. And there was even saints that had exchanged hearts with Jesus. In the 1100s, there was a saint. She was a Cistercian nun, Saint um, Lutgarde. I guess that's how you say it in English, Lutgarde. And she exchanged hearts with our Lord. Our Lord asked her one day, Luke Garde, what do you want? She said, Lord, I want your heart. And he goes, well, you know what? Even more, I want yours. And he took her heart and exchanged it with his. And um, a couple hundred years later in the 1300s, St. Gertrude, St. Gertrude the Great. By the way, if you have an opportunity to read a book about St. Gertrude, I highly recommend it. What an edifying saint. Uh, it's just, it just leaves you like, oh my gosh, I've done nothing 
for God. <laughs> I feel like a little ant in comparison to what I should be doing for God. The love and the generosity that she had with our Lord and the graces and consolations that our Lord gave her because of her fidelity and because he wanted to use her as his instrument to pour out a lot more graces to a lot of other people, a lot of other souls. So St. Gertrude the Great, if you want a good book, get one on St. Gertrude the Great. And if you're not a avid reader, or you're like, oh, big book, here's a little short one. St. Gertrude the Great, Herald of Divine Love, it'd be easy to get through, and it gives a good uh, overview. So if you're not encouraged to read a big book, get this little one, it's really good. So St. Gertrude, she was living in the 1300s in Germany. She had gone to the convent when she was five years old. Now, at this time, you have to remember, girls grew up in the convents as a type of like school and prayer. Like They lived a life of prayer with the sisters, but they were also being educated at the same time. They didn't have vows, all of them. Some of them did discern that they were called to religious life, but not all of them. Others ended up getting married, etc. But this wasn't uncommon. It would be like what we would refer to now as maybe a type of boarding school with the sisters. St. Gertrude, she went to live with the sisters in the convent when she was five years old. And when she was 17, she saw that she was called to make religious vows. She made religious vows. And when she was 25, our Lord appeared to her for the first time. And the first time that he appeared to her, he offered her to come rest her head on his heart. So the first time Jesus appeared to her was when he asked her to come rest her head on his heart. And various other times, um, our Lord appeared to her, especially uh, revealed a lot to her about the treasures of his heart, constantly speaking of the treasures of his heart and saying how what he wanted the most was for others to trust in his heart, to come to his heart with trust, knowing that they could receive all goodness from his heart. And I'm reading this, and it sounds the same to me as what our Lord said to St. Faustina, what he said to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, what he said to Sor Josefa Menendez, like all these saints that he ended up appearing to as his sacred heart and revealing what he most desires. He's really saying the same thing to all of them from within a time span of 500 years. He's still saying the same thing. I want them to come to my heart. I want them to know that they can receive everything from my heart, that they can receive those living waters from my heart, that they need to trust in me, to hope all goodness from my heart, that I can give them anything, that I am powerful and I love them. And so that trust comes from knowing this is the person who loves me more than anyone in the world. He loves me more than I can imagine. Doesn't he want to help me? Doesn't he want to unite himself to me? Doesn't he want to perfect me so that I can get closer to him? Doesn't he want to bring me to heaven? So why isn't he going to do it if I just put, surrender myself to him and put all my trust in him, how is he not going to do it? That would be a lack of trust if I thought, no, he, he, he can't, he won't. He can. Plus, he loves you. He wants it more than you. He wants to unite you to him. He wants to give you an abundance of graces. But 
you have to surrender. Sometimes we like to take control too much to have the reins. We have to give them to him so that he can do his work in us. And that's what he asked through all these saints that he appeared to as his sacred heart, revealing his sacred heart. Trust in his love. I'm sorry, I said St. Gertrude was from the 1300s. She's from the 1200s. I apologize. The apparition that I told you about where our Lord was with St. John, and she asked St. John, why didn't you write about this in your gospel when she heard the heartbeat of Jesus? That was on the feast day of St. John, the 27th of December. So four centuries later, exactly to the date, on the feast day, again, of St. John, the beloved disciple who rested his head on the heart of Jesus in the Last Supper, our Lord appears to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque in France now to promise how he would pour out an abundance of graces through the devotion to his sacred heart and that he wanted to use her to spread this devotion to the whole world so that more would know him and love him and serve him and become closer to him. So to go through a little bit of the history at the time, because we jumped ahead about four centuries. So now we're in the 1600s. <laughs> and you have to remember at this time, this is the most critical time for the devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus. It's when it will become more widespread. It's like that explosion of the, the spreading of the devotion to the sacred heart. And Jesus said to her, my heart is so full of love for men that it can no longer contain the flames of its burning love. I must discover to men the treasure of my heart and save them from perdition. And remember what Jesus said to St. Gertrude that he was saving this devotion, the secrets and the tenderness of the love of his heart for a later time where there would be indifference and coldness in the hearts. Well, it was this time that he said, okay, it's time because it's starting. And you have to remember in the 1600s, we're about to get the effects of the French Revolution later in the late 1700s. And at this time, 1600s, in one of the, before St. Margaret Mary's death, well, first of all, our Lord, Dane will talk about this tomorrow in his talk, I think. But the promises that our Lord made to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque for those who had devotion to his sacred heart. Peace in their families, um, assist them at the hour of death, to warm the coldest hearts, give the grace to, graces to priests, to bring back the hardest sinners. For those who were cold, he would bring them, he would warm their hearts. For those who were living a life of mediocrity, he would make them fervent. For those who were fervent, he would bring them to perfection. Just all these promises saying, I will do it. I will do all these graces, all these, I will pour out all these graces. I will do all these miracles if you surrender yourself, love and serve my heart. Surrender yourself to my love. And so he made her the 12 promises, what are known as the 12 promises of the sacred heart. You can look them up anywhere online. 12 promises of the sacred heart of Jesus to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. And of course, he, the last one of the promises, the 12th, is asking for the first Fridays to be a time of reparation for the offenses against his sacred heart. 
and he's asking for the reparation for the offenses against the Sacred Heart. Because when you love someone, love and reparation go hand in hand. Because you love someone, it hurts you when they're hurt. And you would do anything to make up for what is hurting them, to console them, to make them better, to comfort them in some way for the harm that was caused them. So it goes hand in hand. Love and reparation go hand in hand. So in that time in the world, what's going on in the world? Why would our Lord come and want this devotion to be spread? He's in all of our history. Our Lord knows what's going on in history. He sees everything that's going to happen. He knows what is coming up in the future. He sends so many opportunities for us to receive his graces, for us to convert, to help us, and a lot of times we end up rejecting them, sadly. But he tries, he doesn't stop trying, he never loses patience with us, and he never stops trying. But it also is a call to our responsibility to respond to the means of those, those, those fonts of graces that he wants to send to us. So in this time in the church, Hensonism is very widespread, which is a very kind of a seeing God as very God, God. He's so there that it's impossible that he would condescend in such a way to be tender with us. So it's kind of like seeing God as all-powerful. He's God, yes, but he's, he needs to stay there. He wouldn't, he's too powerful, he's too greater than us to come to have that tenderness with us. Like God can't be tender. Can't God wouldn't let himself come down to us and say, rest your, rest your head on my heart. I'm going to reveal to you the secrets of my heart. I love you tenderly. That ideology at that time was very rejected. So it was a heresy in the church, Hensonism. But that was getting very widespread. And so when love is not tender, it grows cold. And so when we're not loving God with a tender love, you don't have those small details of love. You don't think in more ways that you can love them better. It's just like, a, oh, yeah, God is there. I have to respect him. I have to love him, of course. But there's no tenderness in that relationship. And so there was a growing cold of the hearts and an indifference to God in that sense. And before St. Margaret Mary died, St. Margaret Mary, by the way, she's in France, okay? So we're talking about French, uh, French, France at the time. And 1600s, France. France is one of the biggest powers in the world at this moment. It's also known interesting fact, as the firstborn of the church, the first daughter of the church, because the France actually in the early 400s was the first nation as a whole to, be, to have their king baptized into the Catholic faith. So he was the first king to be baptized Christian. And so France has always been considered as the church's firstborn. Spain comes up second because that was the second nation for their king to be baptized about 90, 100 years later. King Clovis in the early 400s was baptized into the Christian church, into the Catholic faith, by St. Remigio. 
Is that how you say it? Does that sound familiar? Remigio? St. Bishop Remigio. He was from the 400s. And he baptized St. Clovis, uh, St. Clovis, King Clovis, into the Christian faith. And when the king was baptized, obviously, it was, it's a monarchy, so the nation is now Christian. So the nation becomes Catholic. When the king was baptized, the nation becomes Catholic. It was the first Catholic nation in the history of the church. The persecution had just stopped of the church at that time. It had just become legal and so to be Christian. And so the French nation was the first nation that could say we're a Catholic nation. And like I said, later on, 100 years later, it was Spain. And shortly later, Europe would follow. The rest of the nations in Europe would follow. So France had a, like has this special place in God's heart for being the, the first to respond, the, the, the church's firstborn. And our Lord, before St. Margaret Mary dies, asks her to transmit to the king of France, who is Louis Fourteenth, to ask Louis Fourteenth to consecrate himself and his family, the royal family, to the sacred heart of Jesus. Now, if the king consecrates himself and the royal family to the sacred heart of Jesus, for the same reason, it's a monarchy. He's the representative of the nation. It's the nation itself who would be consecrated to the sacred heart of Jesus. So France will belong to the sacred heart of Jesus, which is a big deal. And our Lord asked through St. Margaret Mary to have the king consecrate himself and the royal family to the sacred heart of Jesus. Now, our Lord knew what was bubbling up or about to bubble up soon in France, which was the French Revolution. Did he say this to avoid it? Certainly, yes. And he, unfortunately, King Louis XIV did not officially fulfill this consecration. Now, interesting fact. He might not have fulfilled it in an official way, but he probably knew about this request because it's unsure. Like, historians are unsure if did he know about this? Did this message finally get to him that he was supposed to consecrate himself in the Holy Family? Uh, royal family <laughs> to the sacred heart of Jesus historians are uncertain but interesting fact it two years later his grandson shows that this family transmitted a deep devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus because it was his grandson two generations later that would become the king of Spain because, well, one of the noble families was without heirs, so between the Borbonis and the, another royal family of who would be the next in heir, da da da, da one of those, who is going to take the throne? Well, in the end, it ended up being the House of Borbon, which was the house that Louis XIV was from, and it was his grandson who became the king of France, who, uh, Spain, who ended up asking for the widespread of the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, who ended up writing the Pope to promote and to have written the liturgy for the Mass and the, li the liturgy, like the Liturgy of the Hours, for the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and that he wanted to spread in all possible means this devotion in his country and in all the countries that pertained to him at that time, which 
Spain was not only Spain at that time, it was all the South American countries, except Brazil, and Philippines. So it was a ton of territory that was going to be, uh, that would have spread the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And so did Louis XIV probably hear about it? He probably did, but he didn't do officially the consecration. But this devotion to the Sacred Heart was without a doubt transmitted within their family because later we see the, th the fruits of it generations later. And so Louis XIV did not make this consecration, but later, so we go forward about 100 years later, Okay, sorry. Going back to, um, we're still, okay, so we left the 1600s, and Louis XIV, he did not make that consecration of himself to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the royal family. Um, his grandson ends up becoming king of Spain. Philip V ends up becoming the king of Spain. He asks for this permission from the Pope to spread the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, to have their own mass, to have mass written and the liturgy written. And at this same time, only uh, four years later, in Spain, our Lord appears to a young Jesuit, 1731, Bernardo de Hoyos. He's a novice in the Jesuits right now, at this time, in 1731. And he ends up reading a book about the, tr it's called The Hidden Treasures, referring to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the love for the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And after reading this, he feels pushed to surrender himself to the Sacred Heart of Jesus for whatever he needs, to say that I want to promote this devotion. I want others to know you and love you like this, the secrets of your heart. And Shortly, um, well, a few years later, our Lord ends up appearing to him after communion to say that he has chosen him to help spread this devotion, especially in Spain. So our Lord chose St. Margaret Mary to spread this devotion in France, and her confessor, uh, uh, St. Colombier, and who was a Jesuit, by the way, who to spread this devotion. So the Jesuits also had a huge role in spreading this devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And it's later, after St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, about 50 years later in Spain, where our Lord hands over this mission to spread the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus in Spain. And he only lives until he dies when he's 24, so he lives a very short time, and that was his mission. His mission for his life was to spread this devotion. And he did in every possible way. They would send out holy cards to all these different addresses, like just to send them out to people's houses and throughout Spain, devotions, novenas, to have others fall more in love, that they would make the consecration to the Sacred Heart, that they would enthrone the Sacred Heart in a worthy place in their home, to spread this devotion and love to the Sacred Heart. And there was a great flourishing of this love for the Sacred Heart of Jesus in this time, during the 1700s. It's also important to remember that, like I was saying, this is referring to Spain, but Spain is also, it has all the, the South American countries and the Philippines. And 
Later on, there would be 15 countries consecrated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, officially. Each country would consecrate its country to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Of those 15, 13 of those belonged to Spain at this time. And so obviously, this devotion was widespread. Our Lord could reign there. Just like he had promised uh, blessed Bernardo de Hoyos, I will reign in Spain with a great predilection. And he did. Look how he rooted himself, that love for him, was rooted in all those countries that was under the reign of Spain in this time, the Philippines, the South American countries, and in Spain. And they all ended up consecrating themselves, centuries later, to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So that was, it was deeply rooted, that love for the Sacred Heart was deeply rooted in those countries that were under the domain of Spain at that time. Our Lord wanted to reign. Why would our Lord want to reign in a country? Because he wants to transform that country. He wants not only each heart, each family, but each society and the entire world to belong to him. He wants to reign in our hearts, in our families, in our countries, in the world. He wants to be the king of our hearts. He so that his kingdom can come, his kingdom of justice, of peace, of love, and obviously not of sin, so that that sin can be eradicated from his kingdom. And so that's why our Lord asks, let me reign, I want to reign. Consecrate yourself to me so that I can reign in your heart, so that you can belong to me, so that this society, this country, this world can belong to me. And so St. Bernardo de Hoyos, so this is the 1730s. Shortly, about 50 years later, go back to France, and what's happening? The French Revolution is about to start. Now we have to remember, when we're looking at this from a historical viewpoint, but I have to remember that our Lord works in all moments of history. This is the history of our salvation. It's not just we're having a history class of this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, but we have to see it in the light of his providence, of how God acts in history, of how God tries to intervene to, chant, to, to get us back on the right track, to send us help in our time of needs, to try to keep us from making these, like don't go down this path, don't make those big mistakes. He tries so much. He sends us so many opportunities, so many graces. And the bigger the evils, the bigger graces he sends. The bigger remedies are needed. So at, the, at this moment, what was going to spring from the French Revolution, that whole ideology of a culture without God and man at the center of that I can, I will, everything is about me, and God doesn't need to be the center, man has to be the center. That's demonic, that's what the devil wanted. He said, I don't want them to bow down to you, I want them to bow down to me, I want to be the center. Well, this whole ideology that was about to come about through the French Revolution, our Lord was trying to um, disfiarlo, how do you say that? Like avoid it. He was trying to avoid this catastrophe that was about to happen to mankind. And 
like I said, he had asked for the consecration of the, the royal family of France through St. Margaret Mary Alacoque in the late 1600s, which wasn't listened to. And a hundred years later, it was to the date that our Lord asked for this consecration, to the date, a hundred years later, the French monarchy falls. 17th of June, same date that our Lord asked that the royal family be consecrated to his sacred heart. 100 years later, June 17th, 1789, he, the, it shows that, look, you didn't listen to me, and this is the consequences. The French monarchy falls, the, the French Revolution officially, well, had been bubbling there for some time. But the French monarchy falls, and this whole hate, like kicking God out of culture, kicking God out of society, roots itself now in France with the French Revolution. And at this time, it's Louis XVI, King Louis XVI, when the French monarchy falls. And what does he do? He probably knew about this consecration that was asked of his family two generations back with Louis XIV. And in prison, a short time before he dies, because they're imprisoned they're, and they end up being guillotined, the whole royal family, he's pushed by the influence of his sister, his younger sister, who was a very, very devout Catholic. And she encouraged him to finally make this consecration of the Holy Family to the Sacred Heart of Jesus before they died. And so this consecration that was asked for by St. Margaret Mary Alacoque later, a century later, finally happened. And Saint, Saint King Louis XVI made the consecration of the Holy Family, him and his whole family there in prison, to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Later they were, shortly later they would die, they were guillotined, but this consecration actually took place. They actually responded to that petition of our Lord. And all the, oh, just think of it, all the evils that came out of this because we didn't do what our Lord asked. And all the evils, the ideologies, ideologies the criteria of liberalism, of man at the center of the decline of all morality. Like morality was thrown out the window. Like French Revolution was anything goes. Like God can't say what I can and can't do. Man is at the center. Man can have all the pleasures he wants, enjoy life. God doesn't have any say. We don't have to listen to God anymore because he doesn't form part of our society anymore. That was the criteria that the French Revolution was spreading. It was a total catastrophe for mankind. And how much that has affected our society to this day. Those ideas went spreading throughout the entire world. We all think what they were trying to spread in the French Revolution. The majority of mankind now has that criteria. 
that you're important, you're at the center, enjoy life, all your pleasures, like don't, no, God, well, whatever, he doesn't have any say over me, I can do what I want, I don't want to be enchained to some God who says what I can and what I can't do, and this rampant atheism that was at the center of the French Revolution. Well, you see now how it has affected history from that moment where we hadn't responded to what our Lord had asked of us and the consequences thereof. Now, like I was saying, in times of greater evil, our Lord sends greater graces. So look at France. Our Lord had asked for the consecration. French Revolution comes because they didn't do it. But our Lord, he still doesn't grow tired. And that's a reference to us as well. All the mistakes that we make, he never grows tired of us. And he sends more help, and he sends more help, and he sends more opportunities for us to get back on the right track, to change more graces. And what did he do in France? He sent this abundance of Marian apparitions, one after the other, Rudebach, La Salette, Lourdes, various others, to try in every way to bring these people back to him. And and do we listen? Some do. But it's not the response that our Lord would have hoped for. But it also has to make us think, do I respond to the graces and the helps that God sends me? Do I respond? In my history of salvation, in my life history, am I responding to what God is asking of me? Do I respond to all the helps he gives me or do I waste them? The graces, the extra helps, the the means that he gives me to grow in my faith, to grow closer to him, do I take advantage of all of them? What time is it? <laughs> it's two minutes to 11. When do we start? At 10? When do I have to finish? Okay, so I will sum up. Um, That was probably the most essential time. I wanted to touch on St. Joan of Arc also because that was a moment in France where our Lord asked, because summing up, France was on the point of extinction. It was about to disappear as a country, and the plans that God had for France, later St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, to spread this devotion to his sacred heart, He needed France there still. France couldn't disappear yet. And he sends this miracle, well, miracle. He sends such a great help, St. Joan of Arc, to save France as a country so that it's not, so that it doesn't disappear as a country, so that our Lord can continue to reign there in the Catholic faith to later pour out the graces he wants to pour out centuries on. If France had disappeared under the reign of England because it was a war between France and England and France was pretty much lost because the majority of 
the important people in France had already sided with England. Bishops had sided with England saying, no, we're on England's side. The king himself had said the heir to the throne is of the family of a family that had sided with England also. And he's saying, no, it's not my son who's the real heir of the throne. It should be this family um, who is the heir of the throne. And his wife even announced that the son was, that their son, who would have been the real heir, had, was an Ill illegitimate son that the king really wasn't his father. And so it was just like this disaster of France was going to disappear and England was going to take over it. And our Lord couldn't let that happen because he had so many graces that he planned to pour out. And so he brings about St. Joan of Arc to save France at this time from disappearing because it is going to play such an essential role in this history of salvation. St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, Rudabach, La Salette, Lourdes, all these graces that we, the humanity still needs to receive. And so he sends this immense help in these dire times of need. And like I was saying, our Lord always helps. He always sends us new graces, but we have to respond. And in that time, they didn't respond perfectly either. The, the, the prince who was our, that St. Joan of Arc knew was supposed to be on the throne so that Fran France would remain Catholic, he didn't support her entirely. He was coward at the end, and he let her be burned at the stake. He should have defended her more, and he didn't. The mistakes of mankind also have their consequences, as we have seen. Okay, so that time, uh, St. Margaret Mary Alacoque in France and St. Bernardo, blessed Bernardo de Hoyos in Spain, was the most pivotal and explosive time for this devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus that would, that would spread it throughout the world at that time. And of course, later by later, uh, little by little, <laughs> later on, this devotion was widespread even more. But this is the most, that was the most like pivotal time in the history with St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, 1600s, and Bernardo de Oyo in the 1700s. And then, of course, was backed up by, like I said, kings asking for masses and liturgy for their countries, it, popes writing encyclicals, defending this devotion, saying how. Um, advantageous this devotion was, how many graces could be received from going to the heart of Jesus. And the encyclical of Leo XIII, you will draw waters from the fonts of salvation. Go to his heart to draw those waters of salvation and that joy of salvation. You will draw waters joyfully from his heart. Go to his heart. You will receive all goodness, all graces, Everything you need from his heart. Miracles that you think you weren't capable of doing, he will do in you, but you have to surrender himself to your heart. Plus, our Lord desires that union of hearts with you. And so, summing up, all the popes, Leo XIII, Pio X, Pio Pius XI, Pius XI establishes the Feast of Christ the King as a universal holiday in the church, referring to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, that he, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, that he reigned as King of the world in 
all hearts, all families, all society, all nations, and in the entire world. And he establishes the Feast of Christ the King, the last Sunday of October, in November, sorry, in the, as a universal feast day. With this desire that our Lord's heart reign in the world, in each heart individually and in the world. St. John the 23rd says that this love for the heart of Jesus is a new light, a flame of life brought about, given to us by our Lord to providentially break the lukewarmness of our times. He was reiterating what St. John revealed to to St. Gertrude the Great, that our Lord was saving this, the tenderness and the treasures of his love, of his heart, for a time of lukewarmness when our hearts had grown cold to set them on fire again with love for him. The various countries consecrated their country to the sacred heart of Jesus. Um, Saint, mm, there's, there's 15 countries. All the uh, South American countries, Brazil, po- Poland, Spain. France has not officially been dedicated, um, consecrated. But all these countries have been consecrated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. How many religious orders, religious institutions, um, confraternities, mm, movements within the church are dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus to promote that devotion and love for his heart? And Saint, Saint Benedict, he will be a saint one day. Benedict Sixteenth consecrated all the youth of the world in the World Youth Day in 2011. Just, I mean, an abundance, an abundance, an abundance of consecrations to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. In Fatima, our Lord, our Lady, also asked for the consecration to her Immaculate Heart, which in the same way, there are two hearts that are totally united. So to go to her heart is to go to Jesus' heart. And if you go to her heart, she'll lead you to Jesus' heart. But overall, to see God's providential hand in the history of salvation, in our history, how he's tried to intervene, what he's asked of us, our failures in not responding, what could have been avoided if we had responded, the graces we could have received if we had responded to them, to see how God continues to take care of us and send us help and graces, never loses his patience with us in all of history, and is still hoping for that intimate union with him. He's still desiring that, even after all our failings and all our um, denials and betrayals and not taking advantage of the graces he, he received us, our lack of generosity, our laziness, our not responding entirely to what he gives us, not taking advantage of the graces and the means he gives us, he's still waiting so patiently for us to come back to him. So ask him, ask our Lord, please don't give up on me. And I want that union with you. I really desire that intimate union of my heart with your heart. Or even ask what St. Lugarde asked our Lord, Jesus, I want your heart. Our Lord asked her, what do you want, Lugarde? Lord, I want your heart. And he said, I want yours. 
Tell your Lord that, our Lord that. I want your heart. I want your heart. I want you to teach me your heart. Like, put me into the depths of your heart to teach me everything that's in there. Your feelings, your thoughts, your love. Everything, everything. I want to learn from you. I want to learn from your heart. I want to know your heart so intimately. And I want to have it as mine because I love you. And I want others to love you also because that's what it has to lead us to. That love for him, we have to spread to others so that he is loved and that he is known and that he's served more in the world so that his kingdom can come, so that he can reign in all hearts and all families and all societies and hopefully in the entire world. So first, unite yourself to him. Go into the depths of his heart so that you can help others love him and know him more. Questions, comments? Sister, I want a cup of coffee. <laughs> we are going to ask Our Lady to, just as she kept all these things in our heart, her heart, we're going to ask her to help us guard these things in our heart, to know how to draw forth from the treasure chest of Jesus' heart all the treasures and graces that he wants to give us, to know how to put ourselves in his heart, that we can truly love him more and serve him better, so that others can love him more and serve him better. And we put ourselves in Jesus' heart and Our Lady's heart and asking her in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Sacred Heart of Jesus, our Lady of Mount Carmel, our Queen and our Mother, bless our home in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And just last comment, I love giving gifts out to all my little children that I have in all my classes. And so I was rummaging through all the things that people give us to like compile a box together for gifts for my kids before we got off for Easter break. And I like put all these little like prayer books and everything in a box. And later I saw this one. It was one that they hadn't chosen. There was it was the only one left because there was various. And I saw it one day because I got lot. Well, I wasn't able to get my papers in the room because the priest went in there to confess, and I left my papers. So I was like, oh, what am I going to do? I can't prepare my talk. There's nothing out here because I left all my books in that room. And now the priests are in there confessing the kids, the middle schoolers. So I was like, oh, what am I going to do? I only have this time to prepare it. And I see this little book in my little gift box for my kids. I'm like, oh, I'll look at it. I always thought it was just a book of, well, you know, your Hail Mary, how you pray your rosary, et cetera, et cetera, like the Padre Pio prayer books. I thought it was just a compilation of prayers. Actually, it's really good. So if you want a compendium of the history of the devotion to the Sacred Heart and all the different devotions, consecrations, history of the different saints who had devotion to the Sacred Heart, this is 
amazing. It's called Sacred Heart Prayer Book, and it goes through the history, saints, quotes, popes, encyclicals, like a ton of things. Plus, it has all the promises, devotions, prayers. Great resource. It is Aquinas Press, and it's called Sacred Heart Prayer Book. So this can be like a compendium of what we talked about today, mm, minus some details, but really good. So if you want to get this to go over it, to review on a day where your head is working a little bit better, read this little book. It's really good. Aquinas Press, Sacred Heart Prayer Book. And our next activity is going to be announced by Sister Marina.